0: So, quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder, these were only sins that affected the church in Corinth, right? They, of course, would not affect ours. Or would they? Hi, my name is Peter Finch, and we are going to be answering that question and more today on Beyond the Notes. So this past Lord's Day, uh, we talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 through chapter 13, verse 2. And in chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, Paul lists a series of sins. Uh, if If you remember from the service, we talked about sins that attacked the unity or that affected the unity of the church in verse 20. And sins that impacted the purity of the church in verse 21. So what are some of these sins? So what I want to do today is I want to talk about uh, the sins first and then the safeguards that we can put in place so our church uh, is, does not become characterized by sins like these. So let's look back in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, verse 20. Halfway down it says, I figure that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. So what are these sins and, and how do they really affect the unity of the church? So quarreling is, is a word that means strife or contention. It's, it's that persistent contention, bickering, petty disarguments, enmity. It's, it, it reflects a spirit of, of antagonistic competitiveness that fights to have its own way, that will not stop at anything until it wins. It's quarreling. Jealousy, we know that very well. Uh, and the word doesn't always have a negative connotation in the Bible, uh, but it oftentimes does. And in this context, as a sin, as opposed to a holy zeal, it describes envy of someone else's possessions or their achievements or their advantages, their abilities. It is It describes that that spirit that cannot be content with what it has. And it looks with an envious eye toward what others have, or what other blessings or successful ministries that people have. And this quarrelling and jealousy, um, as opposed to building up the body of Christ, it just it breaks it down. It it creates divisions and and contention and strife. And, and then he goes on and says, and there also there's anger. And this this word anger is a word that really talks about the fierceness. Uh, or, or indignation or wrath of somebody. Um, and especially when accompanied with uh, with breathing violently or heavily or, or heavily, it's, it pictures of a, a panting rage. And, and you, you can picture this. You know people that have gotten so mad that their nostrils even start to get bigger because they're just they're trying to get more airflow into their, in, into their lungs because they're so upset. It's, it's that kind of anger that Paul's talking about. And this was present in the church. And then it says hostility, and this is a word that's very similar to the word quarreling but because it also can be translated sometimes as strife or contention, uh, but it it, it it talks more about the personal uh, gratification or the self-fulfillment at any cost. And actually, it is translated many times as, as selfish ambition. For example, in Romans 2.8, it talks about the people who are self-seeking, um, and in, in Philippians 1.17, it talks about those who preached Christ from selfish ambition, looking to see what they could get out of it. Um, it is listed in Galatians 5.20 as rivalries in the list of the deeds of the flesh, which we're going to read that verse here in a second. And it characterizes the, the worldly demonic wisdom that James talks about. But then it goes on in 2 Corinthians 12.20. It talks about slander. And slander is only used here and in 1 Peter 2.1. And it talks about, it, it means uh, defamation. It's evil speaking. It is speaking out, speaking publicly about somebody in a way to belittle or to defame their character. And right after slander is the word gossip. And of course, we all know what gossip is. But it's funny because in, in Greek, it actually means whisperings. And it's an poetic word, which if you remember from English class back in middle school, onomatopoeia is a word that, that sounds like it's meaning. Um, and this word in Greek gossip is pistercismos. I probably butchered that in Greek, so I apologize. Um, but it's pistercismos. It sounds like a whispering. You see, slanderous is outward public belittling, defaming somebody's character. But sometimes even worse, Is the whisperings. Did you hear what he did? And often these whisperings are disguised in a holy prayer request. Oh, I want to pray for sister so-and-so because, oh, Lord help her. She's going through this. And, And we act sometimes as if we truly care when Paul is pointing out that this is just gossip. It's just whisperings, conceit is a puffing up a swelling up it's it's arrogance disorder means exactly that without any order without stability and it's interesting both here in, 1, in 2 Corinthians 12 20 and also in James 316 which we're going to read here in a second both both jealousy and selfish ambition are listed right before this word for disorder so it seems to be insinuating that when there is jealousy when there is selfish selfish ambition, it leads to a spiritual disorder or lack of stability in the church. Galatians 5, 19 and 21 is where the apostle Paul, right before speaking about the fruit of the spirit, describes in contrast, the deeds of the flesh. And it's interesting, there are Several of these sins that Paul's going to list in Galatians 5, 19-21 that Paul just described in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. Listen to what Galatians 5, 19-21 says. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Side note, those are the three sins that we're going to see in verse 21 here in a second. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what Paul says in Galatians chapter five, and what we inferred in in, in the messages past Lord Day, Lord's Day, is that people, individuals that live a life that is characterized by these sins, not only cause divisions in the church and dissensions, but Paul says in Galatians that people who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Once again, if there is no repentance in the lives of people who practice such sins over and over and over again, it shows that there is something seriously wrong with their relationship with the Lord. In James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, Paul, uh, not Paul, I'm sorry, James, uh, uses some of these words also. And listen to what it says. It's talking about the, the fleshly wisdom that the world offers that is not wisdom that comes down from above. It says this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. James is saying, if, if these sins are present among you or in your church body, this jealousy and selfish ambition, he says, do not boast about it, but rather fear, because that kind of wisdom does not come from God, it is not biblical, rather, it is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, 21, Paul talks about three specific sins that attack the purity of the church. He talks specifically about, in verse 21, impurity. And that is a general word that talks about uncleanness, moral uncleanness, anything that will make us unfit uh, for God's work. Paul tells us in another place in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, he says, but, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Paul says there are, there are sins and even talk of sin that should not even be present in the church because even speaking about that is not edifying. He goes on to talk about another sin, sexual immorality. This is the word in Greek, porneia. And we we have a word in English that sounds a lot like that, don't we? And it refers to specific sexual sins in the Bible that include fornication and adultery. But also scripture uses that same word to describe prostitution and homosexual offense. It is a specific egregious sexual sin. And then it talks about sensuality, and this is the the idea of sensuality is unbridled lust. It is licentiousness. It is shamelessness. It is what we see in culture today. There is no shame about flaunting sexuality, about flaunting sexual sins, about about parading our perversion along the streets. You know, in, in Paul's time, he's writing to the Corinthians. Corinth was where very well known for its sexual perversion. To the degree that they coined a term to Corinthianize meant to fornicate, to go to bed with a prostitute. Um, It it was not a a compliment, but to be called a Corinthian, or specifically the verb to Corinthianize, meant to live in that debauched lifestyle. 1 Corinthians 6, in his first letter, Paul tells the church, and speaking about these kind of sins in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual and moral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul said the, the culture of Corinth describes some of your lives, but then Christ. and invaded your lives. You had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, some of you were like this, but now you have been washed, you have been cleaned, you have been sanctified, you've been justified. You no longer live that way. It was Robert Murray McShane, a Scottish theologian, who said, it is not great talents that God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. He's saying what God values in his church is purity. God is not looking for your great talents, even though many of you have significant talents, and I pray you use them for God's glory. But God is not so interested in your talents or your abilities so much as your Christ-likeness, so much as your purity before the Lord. So these are sins that not only affected the church in Corinth, they infiltrate the walls of our church today. So what are some of the safeguards as you and I, possibly see some of these sins start to surface in the people that we love and we know and God forbid in our lives. Well what are what are three things that we can remember to safeguard ourselves against these sins? I think the first thing we can remember is the nature of God. Remember who God is. So before you fall into temptation, remember what Psalm one hundred verse three says. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You see, none of us are our own creator. None of us determine how we are supposed to live. We were made by God and for God alone. And none of us lives apart from God. Uh, He is the covenant Lord and shepherd who has redeemed us and who has sustained us. And this God is the holy God who calls us to be holy as he is holy. So remember the nature of God, that he is holy, he is creator, he is our Lord but then remember the sinfulness of sin. Remember how sinful sin actually is. You know, it is, it is when, when Satan whispers in your ear that, well, that angry outburst, there's nothing wrong with that. This little moment of sloth in your life, eh, who cares? This disregard for the Lord's holy name, well, everybody's doing it. Remember John's warning in 1 John 3, 4 that every sin is lawlessness. You see, when we sin, we become lawbreakers. Even the tiniest act of unholiness is rebellion against our holy God and justly deserves His wrath and displeasure. Sin is so sinful that it it requires nothing less than the blood of the sinless Son of God to purge it, to clean it, to pay for its penalty. There is no inconsequential sin. So remember the nature of God, remember the sinfulness of sin, and then remember the work of Christ. Although Satan is a mighty foe and our sinful flesh is weak, we are not helpless in the face of temptation. Because by his work on the cross on our behalf, Christ broke the power of sin over us. By uniting us to himself through his death and resurrection, he releases us from slavery to sin and frees us to do righteousness. And although you will continue, continue to face temptation in this world, in Christ you can resist, as James 4:7 tells us. And with his own precious blood, Christ purchased your freedom and your ability to say no to sin. And my dear brother and sister, when we do sin, First John 2, verses 1 and 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, who is Jesus Christ, the righteous. So as we are on the lookout for these sins, may we also put, in, put up these safeguards in remembering the nature of God, remembering how sinful sin really is, and remembering and casting our eyes on christ remembering his work on our behalf i pray that god will be glorified through this church as we strive to be a pure and holy bride for jesus christ may we continue to look to christ well thank you again for joining us on this episode of beyond the notes and i pray that you continue to join us this next lord's day as we almost finish second corinthians got a couple more weeks to go but until then may god bless you until next time on beyond the notes